Hey there, welcome to another episode of Film Streak. My name is Rob, and every episode here on Film Streak, I like to talk about some new movies that I've watched. And it's not just new releases and not just what's in theaters or what's just coming out in the streaming. For me, it's more about seeing some things that I've just never seen before. And sometimes it's old movies, sometimes it's foreign films, sometimes it's indie things or just stuff that I kind of ignored and and really put off watching. I'm trying to get around to do that. And so here with this episode, can you believe it? We're on episode 36 and at film number 200. I've watched 199 films. Now, the original idea was I was going to watch a new film every day. That didn't really work out. It's just really hard to make that happen. And so, look, one of the things, one of my ideas with this is I want to be able to talk about films and break them down a little bit and just kind of understand what the filmmakers were going for. You know, if they were able to be successful in telling the story or saying the things that they wanted to say. And so this is my way of doing that. I'm going to watch the movies anyway, and I'm probably going to talk about those movies to whoever is around, whoever might listen. And this is a way for me to at least document it and maybe share it with you. And so if you're just finding this, maybe you stumbled upon it, maybe I've talked to you about it or, or didn't mention it in in passing or in conversation, thanks for checking this out. Thanks for listening. You can go to filmstreak.com and subscribe, get other episodes there. Uh, you can even sign up for email things. So, you know, when a new episode comes out, you just get it right to your inbox. You don't have to even use a podcast listening service or app or whatever. It just comes right to you. Make it easy, right? It's totally free, no problem. And, you know, that's the other thing. I'm going on now the second year of doing Film Street. And now that we've hit 200, I feel like I want to try and just spice it up a little bit. So I I just want to mention that I do want to do some more episodes with some other guests, some other people that I can kind of talk to and, and kick this idea around with a little bit. You know, I did a couple of episodes a while back with my dad, which was very fun. It was exciting for me. It was interesting to kind of get a different viewpoint, but also the films that we talked about were sort of personal. And in a way it was good to dig a little bit deeper. And so the idea is I want to keep that going. We're going to, we're going to do some more stuff in the future here. And so look, if you're here right now, it's all about number 200, right? And this has been, it's a little bit of a milestone for me. It's just been kind of exciting building towards this. A lot of the movies we talked about in previous episodes, I've wanted to watch those films and I finally was able to do it and then talk about it. And now we've kind of found our way here. Film Streak, number 200, The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. His children didn't know how their father made his living or why they so often moved. They didn't even know their father's name. He regretted neither his robberies nor the 17 murders that he laid claim to. And on September 5th, 1881, Jesse James was 34 years old. I can't believe I'm sitting with none other than Jesse James. Man, he's the night I stayed up, my eyes open, my mouth open, just reading about your escapades. They're all lies, you know. 
It is interesting the many ways you and I overlap. You're the youngest of three James boys, and I'm the youngest of five Ford boys. You have blue eyes, I have blue eyes. You're five feet eight inches tall, I'm five feet eight inches tall. I honestly believe I'm destined for great things, Mr. James. You give me signs that make me wonder. Maybe your mind's been changed about me. Can't figure it out. You wanna be like me? Or you wanna be me? You think it's all made up, don't you? You think it's all yarns and, and newspaper stories. He's just a human being. of a mean face. I wonder about that man that's gone so wrong. I've been a nobody all my life. I know I won't get with this one opportunity and you can bet your life I'm not going to spoil Seems to me if you have something to confess, you spit it out now. What we're looking at here, this is a film from 2007 it's from writer and director Andrew Dominic. It's based on a novel by Ron Hansen. And uh, if you're not familiar with this film, uh, I've heard about this over the years from several people that uh, this is really a, a very unique kind of, it, it's like a one of a kind type of story. And especially within like the Western genre, uh, you know, I don't know if I really consider it a Western, but it does, it does work in that territory. This is a film that stars Brad Pitt, Casey Affleck. Uh, let's see, Sam Rockwell's in it, Sam Shepard. And uh, it's a very interesting look at the figure, the legend of Jesse James, the notorious outlaw. And some of the people that surrounded him and his family and his brother, Frank James, right? Now, the way this story is told is not through his point of view, through his journey. It's told through the point of view of another person, Robert Ford, who is a uh, a member of, a, of another group of brothers. And even the, the, the crew that runs with the James gang, right? All these guys that are kind of hangers-on and not necessarily uh, the same tier of outlaws as Jesse James, but they're there to take a little bit of the spoils of whatever whatever kind of jobs and, and robberies that they're pulling, right? So it almost like demystifies the whole idea of the outlaw, you know, the 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 gunslinger and the train robber and all that stuff. It really takes a lot of the polish off of that. And we see, yeah, these guys are criminals and they're not even necessarily that smart. You know, it, it, it does portray Robert Ford as being somewhat um, clever and somewhat scheming in that he's trying to get, he's, he, man, he's trying so hard to get into the orbit of Jesse James. He's really trying to find his way in. He's trying to find his way into the gang, like to be a part of the jobs that they're doing, but he's also trying to like get in good and almost be his friend. And it's not necessarily, Oh, but he just really, you know, he's down that much with the lifestyle. It's more that 
there's some kind of idolization. There's some kind of uh, uh, he 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 just like looks up to someone like Jesse James so much that he he loses himself. It's it's like an obsession. And it's strange to kind of look at this type of story that way. Like it shows us a side of these people that is very human. Because I think all of us at some point or another, we go through a point where we either fixate on somebody or something and we can't help but just obsess over it or think about it or find ways, find angles towards it. And here we see Robert Ford just trying so much, trying so hard to to fit in and to prove his worth. And by the end of the film, you know, through the journey that he goes through, we're not sure if it was really even worth all the trouble. And so the idea of Jesse James being this larger than life figure that is just a total badass and is is really something to mythologize and and to hold to such a you know to put on a pedestal I, you know i think that's something that over the years over time that has happened maybe just naturally as people talk about the story and and the the man and and the crimes that he committed it becomes larger than life but here is a guy Robert Ford, who saw this in person and saw it, he almost built the guy up in his own mind. He hyped himself up on it. Now, there were like books and and propaganda and so forth that was really like trying to do that at the time. And Robert Ford clearly bought into all that. And to the point where he got right next to the man, that still wasn't enough. And it's really strange to see that play out. You know, Brad Pitt as Jesse James and Casey Affleck as Robert Ford, they really have a very interesting dynamic. You know, the, the, the way that is all played out, it's sometimes tense and it's sometimes awkward. It even feels a little poignant, but it's like the two guys are never on the same wavelength. You know, they, there are moments, there are scenes where they're both getting in their feelings and they're talking about some things that are really weighing on them, but they're not the same things and they're not the same feelings. And you can see that. I mean, you can read in their faces, you can read it in the way they speak and the way they move. And so it's interesting to watch it as kind of a third party to this, this dynamic of these two characters, like who is thinking what, and who's going to come out, who's going to come out on top, basically. Overall, by, by the end of the film, let's say, you know, you really do get a picture that, or at least as portrayed in, in this story, he wasn't a guy that was just um, a rowdy, mischievous, uh, almost good time having criminal. He was a troubled, haunted man that was that was that was suffering through anguish and and maybe even some some sort of regret or some sort of pain maybe through all the things that happened to him in his life, maybe through the crimes that he committed and the people and the lives that he affected. It, it's, it's not really necessarily clear 
it's not specifically addressed, but it is shown that he's got a lot of things that are that are going on inside his head. And yet Robert Ford's also got his own things going on in his head. He's got so much of uh, obsession and even envy and maybe even a, a, a form of infatuation. And so when those things just all cross paths, I mean, it's, it makes for a really interesting dramatic arc. You know, the, aside from the actual, you know, when they show them pulling some of the jobs and the people that they they get involved with and the situations, all that stuff is maybe a little more traditional, you know, outlaw stuff. But it's really the interaction between these two guys and the people that are around them that see this happening and they're not even quite sure what to make of it. That's where the real drama comes in here. That's what makes this story really unique, I think. And, uh, you know, in the end, it kind of goes to that old adage of like, just never meet your heroes. For, for better or worse. It could turn out to be exactly who you think they are, or they could turn out to be the opposite of what you think they are. You know, the, the interesting thing with this film, I think, other than the story and, and some of the interplay with these characters, which are very crucial to it, is uh, the tone of it. You know, it's a very distinct tone, and it doesn't quite feel like a it doesn't quite feel like a Western, or at least in my mind, what a Western tr- traditionally is. It feels a lot more contemplative and it almost feels a little bit like um, you're looking at some of this world and some of these experiences through a little bit of a haze. And, and it's even visually represented in some of the scenes where Jesse James is remembering things from the past or maybe he's just having visions of other, other times and other places. And there's some interesting camera work and some photography, the, the, the way the, the film and lenses are used and, and manipulated to really give you that sense of like, this is almost otherworldly. And of course, that's all, hey, look, credit to Roger Deakins for doing a, some really amazing, incredible photography with this film. I mean, it's just absolutely beautiful. And for a film that came out in 2007... You know, that's no slouch. I mean, this same year, you had films like uh, No Country for Old Men. You also had There Will Be Blood. 2007 was a pretty substantial year, I feel like, looking back now. And this was one that I feel like really flew under the radar. I mean, I think a lot of people who know films and are kind of into it, especially Westerns, They've seen this film and they can talk it up and and really understand how significant it was. But I think for most people, it it really didn't really land, you know, even though it has one of the biggest movie stars ever in it. um, I don't know that a lot of people really saw it because I I think that's part of it. It's like it's not a traditional Western. And so and maybe even the fact that the story is a little bit hard to wrap your head around that we're not just siding with and following the main character of Jesse James. This story is not from his point of view. 
It's actually through the point of view of the person who ends up killing him. And that person has his own troubles and has his own um, flaws to the point where even at the end of the film, as the story you know comes to a close, we see that Bob Ford and his brother Charlie, they tried to uh, they tried to kind of capitalize on this experience and what happened between them and Jesse James. And yeah, everybody recognizes this guy. Technically, he did the right thing, but he's also kind of a scumbag too. He couldn't, you know, face the man and take him down face to face. He had to shoot him in the back. And so that's where... There's so many kind of complicated layers and tones to this story. And it's all really handled pretty, pretty carefully. And it's pulled off really well. And so for me, look, this is, I kind of felt like it would be before I even watched it. But watching it now and really thinking about it and sitting with it, I just thought it was really, really well done. And so it's definitely a recommendation for me. Okay, here we go. We're on to film streak number 201, The Shooting. Leland Drum, a good friend, shot dead by I don't know what, and buried in this spot by Coley Bowyard, his good friend, in April. Coley! Setting up in the mine for two days. Spooked near crazy. Would have shot anything on two legs moving, Will. My mind's all unsatisfied with it. I don't know. Seeming like if Leland had been involved with the event in Weslow, he'd have rode off too, wouldn't he? Like the way you told me Coyne done. Run a man and a little person down. That's all Leland said. Maybe it was a child. Just sitting there getting killed that away. I got no understanding of it at all. I see something! Something's coming! How much would you ask to take me across the Suplicio to Kingsley? I ain't asking. I told you I'd pay you very well. Good point like this, hard to come by. What'd you shoot him for? There ain't a broke or unsound bone in his body. Now you begin to earn your pay. Kingsley? See y'all later, I guess. You want to ride with me, boy? Soon not get left behind here like this. How'd you like the way I done Leland Drum? Like I say, I'll blow it off the first word out. What are you working on him for? He's easier than you. You don't see what I see. Maybe he's the more useful to me. You don't like her much, Will, do you? Well, you just try and forget about her, Coley. Because she's got other interests than you. Saying what, Will? Saying I pretty much believe she means to kill someone. Okay, so now we're going back to 1966, and this is a film directed by Monty Hellman, stars Jack Nicholson, stars Warren Oates, uh, it's got Will Hutchins, Millie Perkins, this is just, it's a very small film, so there's not a lot of characters in this, and it's actually not even a very long film, it's like 80 minutes long. 
And I say all that because the plot of this film, there's not a lot to it. There's some intrigue. There's there's definitely some mystery to it. But uh, once things get set in motion, which happens really very fast, I mean, within the first 15 minutes of this film, it is going. And it's not so much about how complex or uh, or even sophisticated the plot is. You know, the characters are very minimal. What it breaks down to is essentially there are a couple of characters here. That one of them is Coley. He's a young guy. Uh, Willett is the older guy that they are in this mining camp. And this woman shows up. She's enlisting these two men to take her on this journey, basically to track somebody. And as part of that, they run into Billy Spears and he is also joining up with them. And the idea is that she is looking for something or looking for somebody more specifically. And it's not really clear why. It's not really clear who. And with Willett and Coley already knowing there was some issues with Willett's brother, Coin, and there was a report of you know, a, a killing that happened those two have in mind, like, there's something else going on here, and maybe it involves somebody we know. And for most of the film, we're just following these four characters on this journey across the landscape, trying to track down whoever it is that's out there ahead of them. And the woman seems to just have her mind set on doing this without any real reason. So by the time the film kind of comes to the conclusion, you know, it, it, part of this, I would say it is about the journey. It's not so much about getting to where we're going, but it's about the journey on the way there. And that even involves some really interesting scenes in terms of kind of traversing this landscape of the West and deserts. And there's even some tense moments. Um, you know, there's a point where Coley has to kind of get left behind. Yeah, uh, they all decide, well, they don't all decide. I think Billy really kind of decides this kid, he's he's going to have to stay behind. Or he can go back home. He, he can walk on foot, but we're going to leave him here. And when we get to the point where we're really at the end of the film and Billy and Willett kind of have it out, it is a pretty interesting, I mean, it's kind of an exhausting, I mean, they're already exhausted from all their traveling, but the fight that they have, the showdown that they have, it's pretty, pretty rough. And when we get to the final, like the actual literal last shot of the film, that's when we understand what all has happened. And I have to admit, when I first watched the film, I didn't really understand what I just saw. And so that's where it could feel like, wait, did I just watch some kind of some kind of twist ending? And maybe that was by design. You know, it's not really clear at the beginning of the film. Some of the characters are mentioned, like Coin and um, some of the other people that were in the mining camp. But we'd never really see them. And so it's not clear who those people are. Well, when that all comes into play at the end, it's still not it's still not quite evident like what exactly we're seeing. And my take on it, 
I think this may have even been a thing with the film. This must have been a thing that confused audiences or people watching the film when it when it first was released. But to me, the way I read this is that this woman, the death in the beginning of the film, that was mentioned in the beginning of the film, it may have or, or must have been her child. It's mentioned that it's a little person or possibly a child. That's what Coley says. And to me, it draws back to that when the person at the end of the film that they've been tracking this whole time that gets killed, that she kills, is Coin, is Willett's brother, who we've never actually seen, but on film, as played by Warren Oates, who is also playing Willett, it's almost a little bit of a of a mind trick of how is he in two places at once? It's never said that he's his twin. It's just said that this is his brother that's been missing. And so now when we get to the end and coin is the one that is killed by the woman. And now we go back to the beginning where possibly he was involved with killing her child. And this is her quest for revenge for that death. And knowing coin was the one that did it. That's the kind of the way I read it. That's, I mean, when you kind of put that all out in 80 minutes, that is kind of a very thin plot. But like I said, it's not really about the plot. It's more about the journey there. It's almost mesmerizing, a little bit hypnotic in the sense that we're not really sure what we're doing here. These characters, they're kind of just going with this whole thing. And they're almost in this... Um, uh, almost in this hyp- hypnotic state. You know, the one hand you got Willett who is doing this because he's kind of compelled because of the money. But then you've got Coley who's kind of doing this because, well, it's a pretty lady that's asking for help. And then when Billy comes into it, well, he's the guns. So they're going to do what he says now. And so nobody really seems to really have a real purpose here except for the woman. She's the one that is really driving it and knows why. And she's not telling anybody. And so as we're kind of all just going with it now, by the time we get to the end, that revelation of who this person has been and what this person looks like, it really throws it throws the mind for a loop. And so that's a really novel ending. And I... Like I said, maybe it's a uh, maybe it's a little bit of a twist. Maybe it's a little bit of a head scratcher. Um, in in some ways, it's unique and it's it's a little bit inventive, um, and and maybe even subversive. It's like it doesn't really go where you expect this to go. And by the nature of the film, just ending, like ending on the shot of coin, which is Warren Oates. Uh, it, I mean, it just freeze frames and then the end is like, that's really the resolution. Is that what we've been going towards this whole time? You know, I could say, well, this is the wave of, of filmmaking in the sixties where it was somewhat experimental. It's like, well, you're going to get this or you're not. But I like the idea that this is a film that at least plays with some of the tropes of Westerns and flips a little bit of what your expectations might be on the head. And, uh, you know, you're in for a little bit of a ride. So that's, uh, that's kind of the basic premise of it. And 
that's my take on it, at least on, on what the story is and, and how the ending of it turned out. I was curious to watch it because one, I, I, I'm at least familiar with the, the director. And of course I know Jack Nicholson and Warren Oates. I've always liked his movies. I, I just like his kind of demeanor and his, the, the type of character he plays. I just, uh, I like seeing him do some interesting stuff. And this kind of story, I wasn't really sure if it was what I thought it was. I don't know if I appreciate the ending as much as I would have, let's say, if I had seen this when it came out. So I, I'm I'm with it. I would recommend it. If you're into Westerns and you're into, you may be looking for something that's a little bit off kilter, a little different. This might be one to watch. I just, uh, I would go in expecting it to be. It's more about mystery, and when we get the answer to the mystery, it it may or may not pay off for you, but I recommend it. So that one is one to check out also. All right, next film here, film streak number 202, Blackthorn. There's only two moments in a man's life. The one's when he leaves home. And the other one's when he returns. Hi! Whoa! Zinko! Are you going to kill me? We're in the middle of nowhere. My entire future ran off of that horse. Everything I got. I thought you were after me. You know, Craig. They have been following me for days. I need your help. I can give you your money back, but it's hidden. That's why they're after me. How much money did you steal, Eduardo? $50,000. Yeah, well, that's 25000 for me, then. I thought if I was going to die of old age, I might as well go back home to do it. But hell, this seems like as good a day as any to die. I'm glad I'm with you. Butch Cassidy himself. We are not gonna die, old man. Now you have it all. Your name, your life. You're a damn legend. And here you are. Here you are. Here I am. Okay, so first of all, let me say one thing right off the top. If there were any actor that I really thought would be up to the task of taking on the character of Butch Cassidy after Paul Newman. I would definitely say Sam Shepard. And I got more to say about that later, but I just wanted to put that up front that Sam Shepard works in this movie. And this is a film from 2011. 
And the reason I say that is because this is a film that is a sequel to, essentially a sequel, to Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Now, that is a film from 1969. That is a film from way back. And Paul Newman and Robert Redford as the Sundance Kid, that became, in 1969, that became just the the duo to beat. That film, in 1969, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, that was a film that really did a lot of reframing of what a Western could be and what characters in Westerns could be and what the writing and the dialogue in a Western could be. I mean, it really pushed the whole genre in a new direction, I think. Now, I didn't see it in 1969. I saw it much later, but I recognize that. I recognize that this was a film that this had to have changed a lot of the way people saw Westerns afterwards. And so to see this being, it's not necessarily a sequel. And I guess in in today's terms, right, we would call it a legacy sequel. You know, something like Top Gun Maverick, uh, something like, um, I don't know, uh, Ghostbusters Afterlife, you know, where we're picking up not necessarily all of the characters and not necessarily the original plot. But we're picking up some pieces of what was in the original and we're seeing what has happened to those people all these years later. So to me, this was a film that at least attempted to do something different. It could have easily been that film that's just like, hey, look, we really liked the vibe that was in the original film. We're going to try and replicate that. We're going to try and do that again. And I would worry that that is entirely the wrong idea. And thankfully, this film doesn't do that. It is a very different kind of film. It's a different kind of story, but it also just has a whole different tone. So let me let me kind of get into it just quickly. Um, this is picking up with Butch Cassidy many years later. I think it's like 20 years later. And he's found himself now in Bolivia, living under the name of James Blackthorne. And he's there. He's... He's selling horses and he's doing different things. He's, he's even gambling with some other Americans that are finding themselves there. He's, he's trying to like just stack his money so he can get his way back to America. And yet at the same time, he's trying to also not be recognized as Butch Cassidy. So he's kind of laying low. And the interesting approach this film takes to the character is that he's almost, uh, he's almost found a certain contentment with it. It's a much more peaceful existence he has now. It's much more comfortable. Even though he's still kind of got to look over his shoulder. And, you know, there there are in this film flashbacks and, and his memories of things that happened with the Sundance Kid and with Etta that we didn't see in the original film. So, you know, things that happened afterwards. It's kind of filling in the gap a little bit. And it seems like those are things that kind of hang with him or or even haunt him. And so we get to see how that plays out and how that affects some of the decisions he makes, how that informs where this story goes. It's more about this man trying to just get by and trying to find a way for him to return home after all these years. 
and how life just isn't really interested in doing that, isn't going to play along with him. And yeah, there's a certain sort of uh, karmic energy to it. Like that's the life you wanted to live where you're taking chances and getting into trouble and causing mayhem. And this is probably going to be the price you pay. And so it turns out he's got his money. He's trying to get set up to go back home. And he essentially gets ambushed, gets his horse. He doesn't even get robbed. The horse just runs off with all the damn money. And so now he's kind of stuck. He's in a jam. Well, the guy who ambushed him named Eduardo, he thought people were following him. And so he takes his shots. Turns out it's just Butch Cassidy in hiding. So the two of them do eventually have to pair up to kind of resolve this whole issue, get their money back, and Butch can get on his way back to America. And this basically turns into a new adventure. Now, it's it's an adventure that is not as um, adventurous. It's much more dangerous because here there's so much more at stake, it feels like. And it's not about them just trying to get away with something. There's actually a goal that they're trying to achieve. Butch Cassidy actually has something he wants to do. He wants to get back home. And there's even reasons why he wants to get home that are explained. I just think that that really sets the tone for this film and sets it apart from the original. You know, this is a film that's much more about reflection and about a man who is kind of haunted by his past and maybe just having to reckon with it. You know, reckon with getting older and with the loss that he's had and even some of the regrets, some of the things that he's done. It is about, it is a very different kind of film. It's not as humorous. I mean, it has a few little moments where the two guys are, are kind of getting at each other's throats. And yet it is much more about the stakes that are at, at hand here. You know, Butch really is trying to get home. And he really is trying to not be bothered by the rest of the world at this point. Sam Shepard really plays that that performance. He really dials it in. It's much more, it's played straight. And it's played sincerely. And of course, with Sam Shepard, I would expect no less. By the end of the film, we do get a, a resolution. We do see what happens to Butch Cassidy. We do even get some further explanation of what happened to Etta and Sundance. And so if you're a fan of the original film, this may, it could go either way, actually. This may be a nice additional chapter or, or like an epilogue to some of that film, some of the things and some of the, the events of that film. Or this could be total sacrilege. Uh, you just would rather end it with that original film and never have anything after that. I got it. I understand. But this, on the other hand, I just, I feel like, I don't know, maybe it's just because of where I'm watching it, like the, the point I am in life. I see this now. If I had watched this maybe 10, 15 years ago, let's say when this came out, right? And this came out in 2011. If I had seen this then, I might not quite have thought that that was the right move. Like, why did we make this film? I was cool with the first one. 
But now that, for me at least, some time has passed, I'm a little older and I can recognize what the filmmakers were trying to do here, what the story they were trying to tell. And so I I really recommend this film. I I mean, aside from the story and what that might mean to the original or even just on its own, how well it is crafted, aside from all that, this is just a beautiful film. The cinematography, the locations. I mean, it's shot all on location in Bolivia. And there are some scenes that are shot in the in some salt flats. It's like, I think, the biggest salt flat in the world. And it looks amazing. And it's it's the scenery, the 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 landscapes there, it it reminds me actually that, you know, for all the westerns we've seen. You know all the the monument valleys and the uh, the great plains and you know the deserts and all that stuff. North America is not the only place that has amazing landscapes. I mean, there are parts of the world everywhere that could stand in or deserve their own recognition as frontier landscapes. And to see what they were able to do and, and the places that this film goes and how amazing it looks in Bolivia, it's, I mean, it's breathtaking, really. It's just a great-looking film. And, you know, even aside from that, you know, the, the, the music, you know, that's the thing. So let me take a moment here. I, I got to step back here. Sam Shepard, man, rest in peace. Uh, you know, Sam Shepard, I think he passed away in like 2017, I think. Somewhere around there. And I, for all I can remember, I've never seen a film that he's in that I didn't like him in. If that makes sense. You know? Maybe I didn't like the entire film, but I definitely liked him in the film. And I think the first film I ever saw him in which if there's ever a role or a character that an actor would want to like make them a larger than life hero, it would of course be the right stuff playing Chuck Yeager, the man, right? The test pilot, the man living on the edge. And I remember seeing him in that film and I just thought, wait, who is this guy? Not because he's like, you know, super charismatic, not because he's super handsome, but just because he just felt real. There's a there's a there's a real uh, a truth, a truth to every character that I've seen him play so far. You know, I I saw the right stuff, and I was like, this guy, this is a this is a man. <laughs> I was a kid when that movie came out, and I was like, oh, wait, 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 wait. This guy, who's this guy? Because all the other characters in the movie look at him the same way. Like, oh, wait, this this is a man. And so watching that movie, it's like I recognize the name. I wrote it in my memory for all time. Sam Shepard, that's this guy. And uh, I mean, over the years, I've seen him in other films. Uh, Thunderheart was one that I remember watching. And I thought, oh, okay, he's kind of kind of not a good guy in this film 
And, you know, it's one of those, it's a little bit anti-hero-ish. You know, it's just a very interesting story, an interesting look at crime and, and even just life in general on a native reservation and like what that means to outsiders, what that means to the native tribe, the, the peoples and uh, that conflict. And I just thought that was such an interesting film. And he is of course, just killing it. And you know, even something like Black Hawk Down, you know, he plays, I think the commander of the, the forces that are there in Mogadishu. And so he's never on the ground. He's never in all of the, you know, craziness that's happening, but he's back at the base and he's calling the shots and he's getting, fr- you know, he's, he's really, he's really commanding in that role by just sitting at tables and looking at screens. But you feel it like this is a guy who's in charge. And so there's a lot of roles like that, that, that I recognize this guy one, he's already, by the time he's in movies, he's already an established playwright, a, a celebrated, acclaimed playwright. And then he goes on to be an actor. He even directs some films. And in this, this is where I'm getting to, in this, in Blackthorn, he sings all the songs. And they are time-appropriate songs. There's no raindrops falling on my head here. It is just him with a small guitar singing to himself or singing to, you know, the people in the scene. But the songs feel appropriate, not only for the time and place, but even for the character, like the lyrics to the song. It's just, he's not making a song out of it. It's just something like he kind of almost, he just, he just does it for himself. He kind of noodles around on a guitar and makes these songs for himself. That's, I think that's the idea in the film. And he sings, he actually sings the songs. So, hey man, Sam Shepard, that's my guy. That's, that's a real, that's a, that's a man. Okay. And so I, I, I've thought about it now watching this film. I'm so glad that an, an actor of his caliber with his, um, let's say pedigree has had a role like this later in life. I, I, towards the end of his life, really where he is the star and he's playing such a big legendary character and he nails it for what it is. Again, he's not trying to do part two to Paul Newman. He's doing his own thing. And so with that, I, I, I just had to take a moment here to really, you know, show some love for Sam Shepard. He's always been a, an actor that I've enjoyed watching. And I think now I can at least say, I gotta, I gotta watch more of his films because I'm realizing as much as I like his films and, and, uh, I like the work that he's done. I don't know that I've seen enough to really to really understand everything that he's done. So, I'm going to do that. And I've already got it in mind. A new uh, an upcoming episode someday I'm going to do an episode all Sam Shepard films I've never seen before. How about that? That'd be kind of cool. So, in the meantime though, this episode with Blackthorn, this is absolutely a recommendation. 
watch this film. I, you, you know, look, this is my hot take, okay? I think I like Blackthorn more than I liked the assassination of whoever by whatever. <laughs> so disrespectful. I'm just saying, to me, this film, I don't know. It, personally, it just resonated a little more with the character and the actor and the style of it, the feel of it. I think the assassination of the guy by the other guy, I would have really dug that and I would have really been behind that 100% in 2007. Today, I feel like maybe I, I kind of missed the boat. I don't know. But Blackthorn, I feel like it's a little bit, I don't know, it's it's really hit me in, in a way that feels so strong. All right, so now that is another episode of Film Streak. If you're just finding Film Streak, you're just listening to this, maybe you've heard me talk about it or you've stumbled upon it, whatever it is, all good. I'm trying, trying something. Maybe it's just for me. It's just a personal challenge. I just want to watch a lot of movies. Nothing wrong with that, right? If you want to hear some other episodes, maybe find some films that you are interested in seeing, or maybe you've seen them already. And uh, I don't know. You want to tell me how wrong I am or how right I am or whatever. You can go to filmstreak.com. You can subscribe, of course, with all the Apple podcasts, Spotify's and all that. You can also get the episodes directly to you by email. So you don't even need all that other stuff. Also, if you do the email thing, you'll get a link to all of the films I've watched. I have a list on IMDb, every single film, including these. So that way you can go to IMDb, you can pull it up. You can say, oh, let me add this to my watch list or let me review it or or. You know, even see if it's available somewhere where I can watch it for myself. Cool. You do that. That's what this is about. So in the meantime, hey, you know, it's still winter right now as I'm recording this. So stay warm. Stay dry. Um, Go check out the Green Comet. Or if not, if it's too late, (laughs) sorry. Um, Just be good and uh, go watch some new movies. Thank you.